There's actually what's called familial trafficking, and that's where mm. your family sells you. Um, it can happen with runaways. It can happen blackmail trafficking, which my friend Teresa Flores went back a long time ago in Michigan. She was trafficked out of her house um, at night while she was in high school. But typically, there's some reason oh. that there's a vulnerability. Um, so especially if you're a runaway or if you've had some traumas at home that, you know, and there's things that you can have trauma that will make you more vulnerable. And people identify the, the, these masterminds are evil, you know, they're, yep. they identify, they see these vulnerabilities and then they, they'll say, oh, I'll buy you that. It could be buy you that cool pair of shoes, even starting with that. And then they turn around and say, now you need to repay me. Welcome to Authentic Conversations. I'm your host, Ryan James Miller, and I believe the way to freedom, fulfillment, and success ultimately comes by living as the most authentic version of yourself. If you're ready to live the life you've dreamed of, you're in the right place. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Authentic Conversations. I am here today and my guest with me is Sue Flynn. Sue, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the first time that I met her was at a conference a couple of months ago. Uh, we were in Miami uh, for an employee benefits concert, uh, conference, not concert. That would have been interesting if we were at a concert for employee benefits, but a conference. Uh, and uh, we got talking uh, over cocktail hour. And as we started talking, uh, I was so intrigued by part of her story that I thought, man, this is just such a great discussion to have for other people to hear about. So uh, we will get there in just a second. But for now, Sue, welcome to what you just told me is your first ever podcast recording. Yes. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me and happy birthday. Sorry, I have to throw oh. that in. Yeah, for all Sorry. of you, by the time you hear this... <laughs> it's not your birthday. <laughs> uh, yeah, it won't be my birthday anymore. But if you want to send gifts, just know that the day we recorded, March 28th, 2023, is my 45th birthday. And so That's if you missed it, you can just send gifts after the fact. I'll take them all. <laughs> See, I had to plug your birthday because that's the best way to get the old, the later gifts. <laughs> I love that. I, it will be really cool if just one random gift shows up in my, in my mailbox in like two months. That will be pretty amazing. <laughs> and I'm going to come back soon. I'm going to thank you for that. That's going to be so awesome. Okay. So uh, we were talking uh, over again, cocktail hour um, and um I don't know. I don't know how we got on the discussion, but you you brought up the fact that you are on a board and you are advocating in this organization uh, around the idea of, or really the travesty of human trafficking. And so, while I'm sure we would both love to talk about the employee benefits work you do and how <laughs> intriguing that is, I feel like this is so much more not just interesting, but I think it's so critically important because. Um, this season of my podcast, we've been talking a lot about wounds and how people's past, their hurt, their heartache, their tragedy, um, uh, just impacts their life today. And, and this is an area where I think a lot of people are really ignorant to just how devastating human trafficking is and how many people it has impacted that live in the United States and even in some of the most affluent areas that we're a part of. So maybe just start off by sharing how did you find yourself in that space uh, of human trafficking 
or well, advocating for that, I should say. Yeah, it's kind of a different story. Um, I really had no interest in it and really honestly didn't even know anything about it. But this was back mm. in 2009 when um, really the word human trafficking wasn't as mainstream as it is now, which I have to say, I'll toot my own horn a lot today because that was one of our things was awareness and education. And we went from people seeing an article and calling me like, hey, I saw what you were talking about a couple weeks ago to now it's in the news every day. So mm. there's been some great progress with that. Um, I was in the junior league and I joined the advocacy committee because I wanted to work on the issue of childhood obesity. Um, at that time, it was another issue area that we we're working on. And um, we kind of right as I joined, changed from multiple issues to really centering on a couple because there's only so much you can work on at one time. And that was human trafficking. And um, it was a great platform where we really started with education for our own group. And um, basically, we were lucky enough to be well-respected in the state of New Jersey. And we had even a couple federal agents and immigration agents come in and train us on what human trafficking was. Um, And in the next couple of years, if you'll recall, the Super Bowl came to New Jersey and Mm. we used the um, opportunity of having the Super Bowl for education and awareness and also our state legislators. And we started focusing on uh, the Human Trafficking Protection Prevention and Treatment Act, um, which we were able to have passed as one of the strongest um, laws in the st- in all of the United States, making New Jersey a leader of uh, human trafficking services at that time, um, because the legislators and everybody was focused on improving our state for the Super Bowl. Okay, so, so we're, yeah, we're not going to glaze over that. Way. Yeah. We're not, we're not going <laughs> to glaze over what you just said there, because I, now I remember this, like connecting some of these dots. Like you were actually one of the authors of that bill, were you not? Well, I was. So when you pass a bill, just because I'm a little bit anal with all this um, and we want to share, you know, it's not me. It's a team of people. Um, It's the Office Office of Legislative Services that write the bills. But we worked closely with them. We worked with um, some agents, some other agencies throughout throughout New Jersey. And we were working with actually... um, the Jewish Federation of Metro West, which was heavily involved um, with it. And we worked with them together to work on the legislation that was passed. So, yes, we did brainstorming efforts, though. We used to have conferences and get everyone involved. And um, also, we are lucky enough to have some very strong survivors that have been very wonderful people to be advocates and help move things along. Wow. Okay, so... You go from work, like having a passion for <laughs> obesity, childhood obesity, which obviously is 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 such an important issue, um, but it's really a different type of issue. Uh, I mean, you go from something that is, uh, it, you know, is sometimes genetically induced. Other times, it's the result of not having. The access to healthy food, proper health care. I mean, there's so many things around obesity, um, but you, you move into this domain that is always violent, that is doing great, great harm to people. So how did you, like, how was that transition for you? Did it just naturally like, oh, I'm just going to do this now? Or, or, well, or was it something more than that? 
I think it was more just the way I'm wired. When we started learning about it, and uh, with a lot of the advocacy work, there's a saying when there's things where people are harmed is one life is too many, right? That's just Mm. like if one person, because with bills, advocacy, everybody wants numbers. And it's just like one person that's trafficked is too many. And when you start, when I started learning about it and just the, the thing that got me was like, no little girl grew, would say, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute or I want to be trafficked. And I just think I learned so much about it that, um, and I was lucky enough to be on a policy side of it. So I wasn't focused as much on what's going on day to day with these people. Although I, I was aware, but it was a way for me to know that the work I'm doing can help them. Um, and it will have a more opportunities to help more people with, uh, the proper legislation and the follow-up on the policies. And, um, it's also a funny thing because when you're working on issues like this, if you're too involved, if you're on the street with them, you can be at risk too. So mm. you have a, a wonderful opportunity or I had a wonderful opportunity to make a big impact on people's lives and help save people and keep all the, all of our crew that we're doing the work, we're at a safe distance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so did you feel like that kept you... I hate to use this word, but did you feel like that kept you disconnected enough that you were able to avoid some of the trauma that is involved with you? Because I've heard and talked to so many people that advocate in areas like this, and it becomes a traumatic experience for them, too. So, Well, maybe I'm just different. I don't view it as traumatic. I do find that sometimes it's it's pretty difficult. for example, we ha- we're involved still with uh, the SOAP project where we go and do an outreach once a year. And um, we actually are having one coming up, which will be passed when this goes on, but it's on April 15th in North Jersey. And you go into hotels and you educate the hotels on trafficking mm-hmm. and you bring a poster of missing kids from the air, like basically around New Jersey, New York, or wherever mm-hmm. you're doing it. You make it specific to your area. And because hotels don't want to know that trafficking's going on or they might want to know, but there's, you know, it's bad for business and it can happen in a a super cheap hotel. It can happen in a high end hotel. And so the, the easy way to start the conversation is these kids are missing. And you know, what happens to a lot of missing kids is the street life and trafficking. Mm. But I make the missing kids poster every time. And that Mm. is when I get very, it's very emotional for me. At the end of the day, it does help me feel like I'm doing something really good because we have found kids um, and there has been situations where they've been able actually in Atlantic City, New Jersey, where they were able to start an operation to bust kind of a, a whole circuit because it's not the it's not the people that are in the hotels. So though we bring in these little bars, bars of soap that have the human trafficking information on it. So if you're the victim, because you're a victim when it's happening, you're a survivor the minute you're coming out of that, right? Mm. I always like to make sure people know the word is survivor. Um, they can put the soap label in their pocket and have the telephone number. Wow. But that the poster, which I'm going to make next weekend, is that's the one thing that takes a lot out of me. And then I do really feel like it's also empowering because I know there's a chance that you're 
hoping to help people. I, the hardest thing about it is I have to decide who goes on it. Mm. So you, but again, I try to look at it as you do what you can. And if you help one person, it's all worth it, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I do. <laughs> I really love that because, um, you know, my involvement has more been just in kind of like missions work. I mean, some homeless, you know, support and it feels really overwhelming. I mean, on one hand, um, some people have no idea just how much trafficking exists in the United States. Yeah. Um, but then when you hear the stats, which I think actually it was, you know, just a few Super Bowls ago when they really started to share um, ju just how much even like trafficking happens around the Super Bowl and in the mm -hmm. city with the Super Bowl. And then you start to see those numbers. I mean, it is devastating. And so that can be really overwhelming. Yeah, it's second to guns. It's the second. And the other set. So some it, it is overwhelming because humans can be reused. You know, and that, that's when, you know, that part can be, and if you're on the ground and doing the mission work, um, it, that's tough. Uh, but now, like you said, every Super Bowl has, the host city always has a human trafficking, um, coalition or support. They have like a, a, a the part of the hospitality of hosting it is they have a human traffic, anti-trafficking division. And okay. typically they bring in, um, my friend Teresa Flores, who started the SOAP project, who is a survivor of human trafficking from Michigan. So yeah. um, I, I'm fortunate enough to where I know some awesome survivors and, you know, they've been through a lot. And to know how wonderful and beautiful they are, it helps. Like, again, when I get really, you get that burnout, like you're saying, the, the part that gets tough. I think you think about these people now have a chance to to heal if you can get there. But it, it's exhausting. I wouldn't say exhausting, but at the moment, emotionally, yeah. it can be really draining. So, so you've done a lot on the front end, obviously, the advocacy around lobbying for legislation that's going to help to fight against, to prevent. Um, and then you've talked about work um, in the midst of, so things like, this soap project, which, by the way, I what an incredibly genius I, way I to do this. that. So you can. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome! So if you're watching this right you're now, watching, you can these see these are the bars of soap, and soap wow. stands for um, Save Our Adolescents from Prostitution, and they have them in every state, almost in the country. They have outreaches. So just in case anybody's wow. watching and wants to get involved, I'm not on the national committee, but you can always direct message me on LinkedIn and I can hook you up with the people. Oh, I'm going to make so. sure that we, 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 we get a link to do that. I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. Um, and, and what I love about that, by the way, is it's, it's such a simple and subtle way, right? It's not just, you don't have to uh, get into gear, get out on the streets and go for a prostitution ring bust or something like no. that. Right. We, um, don't encourage anyone doing that ever because you're at risk mm. and the person, the, the victim is not, when they're arrested, that criminal record doesn't go away unless you have a state that has expungement. And it, when they're released because they're not the, they're not the ringleader of the pimp or the ringleader of whatever you want to call it, they're in harm's way if they're arrested. So we don't encourage anyone to be like a, 
a vigilante, so to speak. Um, but if you, when we do actually the soap outreach, we let our local, um, and we encourage everyone to let their local police force know what's going on. And then if you, if, there's anyone that you see, you call the FBI or you call the national hotline or you call the local police force. Cause like you said, if you go on the street, it, you get, I guess there's a sense of energy about it and you feel good about it, but you're really going to harm yourself and the other person. So, um, I, I actually, I, I, I never even really thought about that till right now, uh, which is, so there could be, I mean, women particularly that are sold into or enslaved into becoming prostitutes that can then get arrested and be prosecuted for prostitution, even though they were actually forced into it. Is that true? Yes. Well, it, because at the time of the arrest, it's very hard to prove it's trafficking, right? Because if you're over the age of 18, and they, they could, it depends on every state's different, but you could be arrested for prostitution under the age of 18. Any type of sexual exploitation is considered, um, trafficking. You don't it, over age 18, you need force, fraud, or coercion. That's just the federal law. Most states follow that federal law and have their own state laws, but yeah, there's people that are arrested and let go for prostitution. It takes a very long time to build the case for the trafficking. And really the goal is to get the, the, the ringleaders, the real traffickers. Um, and then you have the, the issue of them, not the, the person will just say the prostitute or whomever that gets arrested. They're not going to turn in their pimp because they'll get beaten up when they get released. Yeah. Yeah. And the recidivism rate is very high. You know, like even if you can rescue them and move them into like a safe spot, they, there's, um, a lot of grooming and things that of love and yeah. belonging that has caused them to go into that world that they think they need to go back to it and they'll try to go back into it. It's really, yeah. Which I mean, it, 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 and again, a poor choice of word, but it's so fascinating to think about what happens, you know, the, the, the impact of this, because again, like, you know, when you say grooming, you know, these poor women, like they're, they're sold into this, they are enslaved into this and, and they, they start to believe that this is who they are and that this is their place for acceptance and for care and provision. And, and you're right. I mean, it's so easy for them to just get sucked back into, this is all, this is who I am. This is all I know. Right. And I think, um, it can happen in many different ways. Like there's actually what's called familial trafficking and that's where Mm. your family sells you. Um, it can happen with runaways. It can happen blackmail trafficking, which my friend Teresa Flores went back a long time ago in Michigan. She was trafficked out of her house, um, at night while she was in high school. But typically there's some reason Uh. that there's a vulnerability. Um, so especially if you're a runaway or if you've had some traumas at home that, you know, what ACEs are, they're acute childhood encounters. No. Um, but they're, they're now basically trauma, you know, and there's things that you can have trauma that will make you more vulnerable and people identify the, the, these masterminds are evil, you know, they're, they identify, they see these vulnerabilities and then they, they'll say, Oh, I'll buy you that. It could be buy you that 
cool pair of shoes, even starting with that. And then they turn around and say, now you need to repay me as simple. Like that can happen as a start, you know, and then they're kind of into that life. It's not like in the TV shows where they're like whisked away. Now it can happen where you're abducted and in that trap move to trafficking, but generally it's not in that, that form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I, have I, question. I want to be very okay. sensitive. Sorry, because I'm, tra- I'm a trained speaker on it. And yeah. I get, I just want to make sure people know that there are all different types of trafficking and there may be someone that watches it. And if you identify with any of this, again, reach out to, you know, their services for you. And I'm sorry, but like, there could be someone that doesn't even know they were trafficked and they yep. could watch it and say, Oh crud, you know, it could be yep. triggering. Yeah, actually, so so that that's part of what I'm interested to learn a little bit more about. So I think, again, that I'm, I'm trying to kind of play this idea of ignorance to some degree, because for most of us that it's like if you're if you're watching this podcast or listening, uh, you you have grown up in or you at, at least now live in some aspect of affluence, meaning that when we think about these issues, we typically impose these on impoverished communities, which absolutely it happens there. But I think that many of us don't believe like I was surprised. I think I told you this uh, when when we first met, but I live in one of the wealthier communities of Southern California, even inside the count Orange County, California, which is already an affluent community overall. I'm in a, in a even more affluent area than that overall. Uh, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't participate in that at the moment, but, uh, but there, but I was surprised to learn about 10 years ago that our city, which is actually small in size, I can't remember our population right now, but fairly small in size, relatively affluent. I mean, there's just not like a poor person other than a transient that comes to our community. And yet we had one of the highest levels of trafficking in all of Southern California. And people would have put that on like a poor community, downtown LA community, like all kinds of things. And so what, what are some of, or what are some of the reasons do you know why this happens so much in these wealthier, more affluent communities? I think that it happens everywhere, but because people don't expect it to happen, hmm. um, it could be part of it because they're not aware. Like you have to be aware. You never know what your neighbor's doing. And I always say, even if you're, even if you're like, oh, it's not happening in my community, you could have a community where it's happening, but your neighbor's the one that is actually purchasing, hmm. not being the vic, the victim or potentially the survivor. Um, I think that also now the biggest thing is online, especially after COVID, the issue with everyone People are buying and selling people online. Um, and it's, you just, you can't arrest someone for walking into someone's house. So let's say it happens. Um, you walk into some, some, they know what's going on, but a kid walks into someone else's house. You can't go into the house and just arrest them. You have to have a real, you have to have reason. Um, so that's really tricky. I also think sometimes it can happen in affluent areas where it is more like the abduction, like the vans pulling up. Um, I, up in New York, they had a situation where they were called gypsies and I don't, you know, I don't really know what that, like, it's not like what I think of as a gypsy, but there was, yeah. I'm, I actually was on vacation a couple of years ago and a 
I don't know, we're, I talk about this a lot, apparently. And this people by the pool said, oh, and they were from a very affluent town up in, in New York. And they're like, our daughter got, they told me this whole story where their daughter was walking home from school and a van pulled up and they were like, get in. And she said no. And she actually had her phone in the, her hand and, and you're supposed to walk the opposite way. If the car's coming towards, you know, you go the mm. opposite way. You don't walk with the car if it's, they talk, stop to you because they can't get out. But she ended up running home. They called the police and they, she identified these people as people that had been like on a circuit of trying to convince people to get in. So that wow. can happen. Like I said, that's not like, it's not like in the movies, but it can happen. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's, it's just crazy. And I think it's just because people, can be bought and sold, you know, like more than once, you know, the, the, the sounds crude and I don't mean to sound yeah, not nice, but the human body can be reused and reused and used. And when you sell a gun, it belongs to that person until they do the next thing with it. Yeah. Um, and I know no, this I, sounds yeah. terrible. I'm when this, when I first started working on this, people really didn't want to have dinner with me. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but, but, but again, I, I think that's why it's so incredibly important because it is so easy for us to just avoid, ignore these topics because they're weighty, because they're so sad, because they're so uncomfortable or so awkward. But I mean, these are the things that we talk to our kids about all the time, which I now have a 21 year old daughter and a 14 year old daughter. But, you know, you know, even as parents, like you were saying, you don't know what your next door neighbor is doing. Um, you know, we, we just, we never really let our kids go spend the night at other people's houses. It was like, which it's kind of funny that we would always welcome people to come spend the night at our house, but we just, we never felt comfortable letting our girls especially go because we never knew what was going to happen. But I think that we just, we, we need to step into these uncomfortable spots and talk about this more often, because if we don't, we are all just potential victims waiting to be victimized to one degree or another. Yeah. I think you really need to let your kids know that bad things happen, right? Like mm. I, 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 you know, when my, my kids have grown up with the words human trafficking and what it is just because it's just me and what I've been doing for so long, but they need to know, like they're generally people are good and you're safe, but there are bad people. You know, you just don't want to meet that two to 5%. That's not, you know, the other advice that, um, again, I always mention Teresa Flores cause she's just amazing, but, um, she said, the most important thing you can do with your kids is have a trusted adult that's not the parent. Meaning if something happens to the kid and they need to go to someone, it's not you or me as the parent they will come to an adult they can trust and have mm-hmm. an agreement and have them test it with the kids. Like, So I have a friend now that is a trusted adult and I told my daughter, just tell her anything. Tell her the most absurd things. She knows she can't tell me. Um, and she'll help you work through because then you have that. If something happened, let's say that you were spending the night and someone made advances even before it turns into something else, they can tell someone that won't say, Oh, Oh, they didn't mean it. You know, like this is someone mm. that will take her seriously and she won't be afraid. That's so so I don't know. Cause I always, cause I'm like most parents. I'm like, Oh, my kids can tell me anything. I'm like, I'm like, your kids can have me as a trusted adult if they want. I mean, their friends can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that that's super wise. 
Where do you see this going? I mean, wh where where do you see these efforts going as we progress over the next, hopefully progress over the next five to 10 years? Well, I think there's been amazing things done um, in since like, even since 2009, let's say when I started, which means I've been doing this a very long time. Um, just even the fact that you, people never said the words human trafficking until probably right before we had the Super Bowl in New Jersey, which was what, 2015, I believe, 2013 or 15. Now, education awareness, like with everything, is the most important. Mm. The only way to stop trafficking is to get rid of demand, which is nearly impossible. Um, there's all sorts of different things that have been proposed, whether you do a system where the sex trade is legal and recognized like they have in other countries, which there's all, all sorts of negatives to, and I, everyone has their own opinions. I just say in what we've looked at, um, yeah. just figuring out ways to, um, prosecute the ringleaders. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's not even the pimps. That's why I keep saying ring, They're, whoever's the higher up, you know, um, but also providing assistance to the victims and survivor services. Um, the other thing that New Jersey's doing right now, because um, I'm on the New Jersey Coalition Against Human Trafficking, I'm a founding member, but I, I've review, reviewed, removed myself a little from, I was very involved. So I'm not, I know what's going on, but I'm not, believe me, it's the team that's doing all this, not me. <laughs> um, educating uh teachers in the education system. So they're aware. Mm -hmm. So they see the signs and first responders. If we think about how much we've, how far we've come with domestic violence mm -hmm. and how like before it used to be like, Oh, there was just like a little argument and the police wouldn't investigate if they were called out to having the nurses, the ER doctors, the ER nurses, the staff see the signs, see ho have hotel front desks, see the signs. Those type of education and the skills to do something with it is the best way to help. Um, I, unfortunately, I, I don't know. What's the answer to, to get rid of demand? You know, anytime there's a demand and it's making money, it's like the problem with that's why guns and trafficking are number one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it just continues to be what it is. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So you have to find ways to get outside of this headspace and just take all your energy out in other areas. And I also know that on the lighter side of things, though maybe some people would say this is also a different form of punishment, uh, you are quite the runner. Uh, and so tell me about uh, your, your endeavors in running and why that has become such a, not just an outlet, but just such an energizer for you. <laughs> well, I have... I finally admit I'm a runner, um, <laughs> running. I identify as a runner. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I have a, I've had a love hate relationship with running most of my life. When I was younger, I was halfway decent at it and I just liked to race. And then mm. probably when I had my kids, um, running became my time because even if I had them in the jogging stroller, they couldn't talk like that was like my time. <laughs> they were blocked off from talking I, to you. <laughs> they had music in their jogging <laughs> stroller and they were, <laughs> that was my time. I never would get a, I still run outside, no treadmill because I didn't want my time to be like in the garage or wherever the treadmill would be. Yeah. Um, so, and then over the years, I've just, I, I swear every, almost every job I've had, 
I've gotten through running as an, an adult, um, just from people, random people or, or people I know, you know, just random talks. And I have a really good core group of running friends that are totally mm. separate from my normal day. And, um, they're just awesome. And they're crazier that I'm like an average runner to them. Like some of them do ultra marathons. They're amazing. So, you know, it's kind of like the goofier you are, the more inter- entertaining it is. And we go run and just, I don't know. It's kind of funny. It's just become part of me and everyone's like, Oh, the running. So yeah, now, and I have, and that's been going on a long time. Like you've, I have friends from when I lived in New York, still from running and we do the marathon every day, <laughs> every year together, which some people would say crazy, but that's how we get together once a year. <laughs> oh my gosh. So marathon distance, is that kind of your sweet spot? Um, as I get older, it's getting there. I, um, I was an 800 meter runner in college, so oh, I would out. never have said that. Yeah. I like the half marathon. I just, I okay. love New York marathon because I love that. T- I just nostalgia when I go through mm. New York, but marathoning isn't for me. I just am weird enough to like love doing long runs with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and so what's the average run that you're doing now? Um, I usually go like five or six miles a day. And then once a week you'll see on fa- uh, sorry, Instagram, I do 10 miles every Friday with a crew. And, uh, so it's like, I, I are LinkedIn. I've been putting on my Friday 10 before we get the weekend, uh, you know, ready for the weekend. Get all this oh stuff Oh my gosh. That is a lot of running. Yeah. It's been dark and cold out too. I don't live in Southern California. I know. Well, it's actually, you know, funny enough, uh, we have had more rain this year than we've ever had. And it's kind of dark and rainy here too. But yeah, what do you do when, when it's awful weather, like half the year there, you don't run inside. So what do you do? You run in the rain? I like gear. <laughs> oh my. So you are crazy. Now, now I know you're just, you're wild for sure. Oh, okay. So I, I'm super appreciative again. Um, you know, just scratched the surface in Miami, still really only kind of just a little bit of a deeper scratch into the surface here. But the fact that you and you, you discounted this when we first talked and you tried to do it again, it's the team, it's not you, I get it. But the work that you are doing is just, it's incredible. And I'm super grateful because I pray that there's at least you, you talked about impacting one. I pray that there is one person listening to this that will find some sense of hope uh, because of some similar scar or wound maybe that they experienced and that there's going to be one other person at least that this is going to be an awakening to them to gain more awareness for the ways in which this is happening in their local community and we'll do something about it. But if you weren't willing to have these conversations, if you weren't willing to advocate, we wouldn't be here. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate your time too. And I'm with you on praying for those little, little nuggets of chipping away. Yeah. Yeah. I love that one at a time. And guess what? You are landing the plane on your first ever podcast and you just crushed it. (laughs) Now now you can add that to your bio somewhere. I'm a podcast pro. Podcast club. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much. We will make sure to put your contact information into the show okay. notes. Uh, you guys, if you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, um, please reach out to Sue. Just, at, you know, you can connect with her, ask her questions. I'm sure she can point you in the direction of lo- uh, local areas of advocacy uh, in the places that you live. Check out that SOAP project. I love that idea so much. Um, but I, I think that there's just many ways to get involved if that's what you desire. So please make sure to, to reach out to her. If you have any questions for me, thoughts, concerns, needs, you know where to find me. Thank you guys so much for continuing to endure some really tough conversations because as much as we, you know, we want to also be lighthearted and have some fun with it. These are serious things that people are being impacted with and dealing with. Uh, but it takes conversations like this uh, to bring awareness and the impact that people hope for. So thank you guys for supporting. Thanks for enduring another episode of Authentic Conversations. We will talk to you guys soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Authentic Conversations. If you are ready to live the life you've dreamed of, I'm here to help. Head to ryanjamesmiller.com slash podcast to begin your journey. And if this episode impacted you in any way, pay it forward by sharing it with someone you know. I'm Ryan James Miller, and I'll see you next time on Authentic Conversations.